The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I come not to call the righteous, but sinners. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, good morning again. I am going to say one more quick word of prayer to settle my heart and settle our hearts. So please bow with me. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come Holy Spirit, come in Jesus' name. Amen. Our message today is titled, Friend of the Outsider. And I want to begin with a simple question. Have you ever felt like an outsider? Have you ever been the outsider? Maybe this is a place you can relate to even right now in some way. A few years ago, right after we moved to Charleston, my wife says to me, hey, some of our friends from Florida, they've reached out and they want to go on an economy cruise, a last minute cruise. It's a three night deal, $189. Would, would you mind if, if I took the weekend away from the family and, and, and went on this cruise? I said, that'd be great. So Carly signed up and of course there always needs to be a type A ringleader, right, to these kind of trips. And her friend Maria down in Florida was the ringleader and they sign up and they get everything set and then Maria sends out an itinerary. And she says, ladies, I just want you to know that Saturday night, it's 80s night. So would you please plan to bring some glam, some, some attire to dress up like an 80s person. And Carly, of course, loves the 80s and she's like, I'm in. And so this is a picture, it looks like it's from the 80s. Actually, this is a normal picture. Um, but I guess as you go on the cruise, they take a picture as you, you know, come on the ship. And so it was seven friends, and, and they're having a great time. And then, of course, Saturday night rolls, rolls up, and, uh, and they, they spend, Carly said, they spent quite a bit of time, a couple hours getting ready for the 80s night. This was their moment. And a lot of these ladies, you know, were in elementary school or middle school or such during the 80s. And so here's a picture I found of this group of women. It's really awkward. Uh, I'm not sure what Carly's done with her hair there. She's in the back road. It's kind of like a hairspray poof technique. And then we've got Punky Brewster on the front row there. And, uh, and so they're all excited. 
And they go down to the restaurant of the cruise line. And they walk in only to discover that it's not 80s night. (laughs) And in fact, Carly said there's people there in bathing suits and there's older people that are just turning and looking at them. I think they knew what it felt like to be an outsider at that moment. And looking at our passage, this is really the point of our passage. We are working our way through the book of Mark uh, in 2018, and we're on chapter 2. We're going rather slow, but that's okay. And at the beginning of the book, there's been silence. Just as a recap of where we've been and where we are in this book, there were silence for hundreds of years God's people longing to hear from God, but they they couldn't hear from God. And then, poof, Jesus shows up. And in Mark chapter 1, he's baptized, and as he's coming out of the water, there's this voice from heaven that says, Behold, this is my beloved Son. And then Mark chapter 1, it goes on, and right as Jesus begins his ministry, there is a declaration, an invitation, and a demonstration of God's power to a world in need. And then shift to chapter 2. And we talked about chapter 2 a couple weeks ago where there's friends, they heard about this person, Jesus, and they bring their ill friend to Jesus. They have to drop him through a roof and through their faith, the friend is forgiven and healed. And now here we are in this passage. And here's the point. I think if we're to understand the life of Jesus, we must understand the love of Jesus for the outsider. And whether you're someone that's exploring the Christian faith, who is this Jesus, or you've been walking down this road some time, this is a big point. And I think it's the big idea of our passage. If we're to understand this life, this person of Jesus, we must understand his love towards the outsider. So we're going to unpack what this looks like and how it applies to us. Point number one, Jesus calls the outsider while others condemn them. We read, Jonathan read these words. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. A little backdrop to our passage. Who are tax collectors? Why should we care? Well, in that day and age, Israel was being ruled by the Roman Empire. And tax collectors were those people that served as like the middleman, if you will, between the Jewish people and the Romans, the rulers. Another way of saying it is they were seen as sellouts. You see, what would happen in terms of collecting taxes in the nation of Israel, they would farm that out. The Roman government would farm that out to the highest bidder. And then in different regions, you'd have tax collectors. And a lot of the taxes were were, um, processed at the discernment of that tax collector. Much like, you know, you have franchises for Chick-fil-A, McDonald's. And as, as you might imagine, certain kind of, you know, advent, uh, opportunistic sellouts would raise their hand, win the bid, and then they'd come at people. And there was some structure to it, but a lot of times there was no structure to it. And they were seen as a disgrace 
to God's people. Even if they were Jewish ethnically, they were definitely not Jewish in terms of their faith or their beliefs. This is how, how much these tax collectors were hated by the Jewish people. They could not serve as a witness in court. They could not even enter the synagogues. They definitely couldn't enter the temple. In fact, if one of them came into your house and touched anything, your house would be considered unclean. And so here's Jesus coming with God's love, coming with God's power, and he sees this guy, Levi, a clear outsider. And you can imagine that the message that Levi has heard from God's people all through his life would have been something like this. Levi, you're not welcome here. You're not welcome with us. And then Jesus does something that's absolutely scandalous. He says, Levi, you're welcome with me. Follow me. I love how this one theologian says it. Jesus saw a man in Levi, not a category, and he knew what that man could become. You see, Kendall, Jesus sees a person in you that no one else can see. Jesus sees who we're called to be even before we can see it ourselves, even if we don't believe it. He calls us while others condemn us. That's point number one. Excuse me, point number two. Jesus then accepts the outsider while others reject them. The passage goes on and reads, And as he reclined at a table in his house, Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him, and the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Another translation says it more bluntly. Why does he eat with such scum? You see, let me tell you what's happening. Imagine the scene here. Levi has been called to this new up-and-coming rabbi. He says, follow me, not based on his own merit or favor, but by, based on the grace and the generosity of God's heart through Jesus. He's, follow me. You know what Levi does? He throws a party. He's like, friends, I need you to meet someone. Come to my house 6 o'clock. And there's Jesus kicking up his legs on the table, right? Reclining. I don't want to fall. <laughs> Doctors are in the room. That's okay. He's reclining at the table, and this, this is an extraordinary picture. You know, elsewhere in Scripture, we see similar parties. There's a story called the prodigal son, where a son taps out from his family, takes his inheritance, goes and parties it up, lives it up, and then essentially falls on his face, face and kind of crawls back to his family, seeking repentance and forgiveness. In that passage about the prodigal son, it says the dad saw the son coming home, and he screams with joy and says, my son is coming home. Kill the best fatted calf. It's time to party. You see, when God shows up, parties break out. And that's what's happening with Levi. He is, he's just blown away by the grace of Jesus. You see, Jesus is breaking down societal norms 
to break through with God's love. It's really remarkable. In the place where it's happening is remarkable. It's at a table. And in that day and age, if you're eating at a table, sharing drinks at a table, that means you fully embrace, accept, forgive, have peace with that person. Where's the party happening? Where's Jesus sitting with Levi and his friends? At a table. Later in the service, we're going to be called, invited to the table known as communion. Now do you connect the dots why this communion is so beautiful and why this picture is so beautiful? One conservative theologian has this to say about the passage. The scandal of this story is that Jesus does not make make moral repentance a precondition of his love and acceptance. Rather, Jesus loves and accepts tax collectors and sinners as they are. If they forsake their evil and amend their lives, they do so, as did Zacchaeus in Luke 19, not not in order to gain Jesus' favor, but because Jesus has loved them as sinners. You say, we don't, We don't come to God and say, hey, I'm measuring up. Can you extend your love? No, God comes to us. He sends his son, Jesus, and says, I've come to you to extend my love to you. Will you receive it? Will you hear it? And it it, it makes me kind of wonder in my own heart, honestly, as I study this passage, what are the preconditions I live with that keep me separated from God? What are the preconditions you've walked in with today that make you think, I'm not acceptable to God? Or another way of saying this, or what are the preconditions we project onto others to say you have to get this right in order to be received in the faith, in order to be received in this family? It might be guilt, the idea that you've made a mistake, right? We've all made mistakes. Sometimes those mistakes are known, In Levi's case, he was a traitor of the Jewish people. His mistakes were known. Jesus says, I don't care, follow me. Maybe it's shame, this idea that I am a mistake. I'm unlovable. If he really knew the real me, he would turn me away. Maybe some of you today are dealing with pain, physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain, marital pain, whatever it might be. Is that keeping you, separating you from receiving this love of Jesus? Any basketball fans here today? Raise your hand. I came across the most remarkable essay this week written by Kevin Love of the Cleveland Cavaliers. The title is Everyone is Going Through Something. Kevin is a multi-year all-star in the NBA. LeBron James' teammate, I think he's also an NBA champion. You see, something went off the rails this last fall with Kevin Love. In the middle of a game, he couldn't keep breathing. He, his breath was shortened. He's having chest pains. He, he literally runs into the locker room, his team not knowing what to do or where he's going. He then's transported to an ER, only to discover that he had had a full-blown panic attack. And he kept it under wraps. 
He was embarrassed by it. And in this essay that he penned, which you can look up online, take you five minutes to read, he, he goes through his upbringing and what, it, what he thought it, it took to be a man and to be a star. And you, you pack it in. You don't let the weakness show. You don't let the emotions show. And so for 29 years, he had lived a driven, rigid life, really a life doing it on his own. It got so bad with the Cleveland Cavaliers that the locker room was split. They called a players-only meeting, and they scolded him. Some, from what I'm reading, people were throwing him under the bus because he wasn't fully present. They had yet to d- discover that he was dealing with high levels of anxiety. Until now. Until he came out with his own struggles. At the end of the article, Kevin writes these words. I want to make it clear that I don't have things figured out about all of this. I'm just starting to do the hard work of getting to know myself. For 29 years, I avoided that. Now I'm trying to be truthful with myself. I'm trying to be good to the people in my life. I'm trying to face the uncomfortable stuff in life while also enjoying and being grateful for the good stuff. I'm trying to embrace it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You see, Kevin is coming out with his own struggles. He goes on to talk about seeing a therapist now, a counselor, several times a month. He's willing to admit that he, in fact, has something going on that's not pleasant, not pleasing. You know, as it relates to Kevin, as it relates to us in this passage, Jesus is saying, Jeff, I want you to come just the way you are. Jesus calls us, he doesn't condemn us, and then he accepts us, he doesn't reject us. And then point number three, Jesus heals the outsider, while others simply cast them aside. Our passage ends with these words, and when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came to call the righteous, excuse me, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners, Let me ask a question. Have you ever met someone who acts like they have it all together? Just give me a nod. Have you ever, we live in Charleston, uh, some of us on Daniel Island, of course you've got it all together. Have, Have you ever met someone that has it all together and by the way, will let you know that you don't? A few years ago, Carly and I and our family decided to go to New York City. And we had we had uh, accumulated all these like hotel points and we cashed them all in and our family went, my parents went, and my brother's family was supposed to meet us. And it was an expensive trip the week after Christmas, but we were excited. And if you know anything about Gigi, my mother, she was so excited to do New York City, the Big Apple with our kids. And she had planned all these wonderful things. But about a day into the trip, I fell ill, and Blaze fell ill. And when I say ill, I mean terribly ill. So Blaze and I and our family, we're all sitting in the Rockettes. Is that what they're called? Jonathan, yes. They're kicking up their legs, and I am just dying. I can't even keep my eyes focused. And we end up leaving during the intermission. And we end up going to one of these, you know, clinics right there in Manhattan. 
And it turns out Blaze and I had contracted the flu. Blaze was so sick, I thought his life was in danger. He had 103, 104 temperature. And um, to make matters worse, we go to our hotel room. These aren't big hotel rooms in New York City. Little hotel rooms, big people. We're quarantined in this one room. And my, my mom says to me, Paul, I just want to know, did, did you and Blaze get a flu shot? And of course the answer was no. And she didn't say anything, but she said everything by doing this. <laughs> and so there was tension. There was tension. It was a little awkward, right? So it got even more awkward when later that night or like the next day, we're watching headline news, we're quarantined in our room, and all of a sudden it says there's a flu outbreak, you know, in the ticker. And it says, researchers have traced the origin to South Carolina. <laughs> they, serious, true story. Flu outbreak in New York City, they've traced the origin to South Carolina. And my mom, of course, says, Paul, did, did you see the news? <laughs> right? And then it happened. Our whole family contracted the flu, including those with the flu shot. And similar to that is what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees here. Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. But what he's doing there, he's using this extreme irony to not just call out the Pharisees, but to call forward those who are willing to admit they're outsiders. Those who are willing to admit, hey, I don't have it all together. You see, throughout the scriptures, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the message is simple. Hey, we're all like sheep. We go astray. God, over and over again, extends his mercy and his grace to redeem. Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there's any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together, they have become corrupt. There's no one who does good, not even one. Jesus is like, guys, you should know this. But I've come to share this news, to bring healing and hope to those who are willing to admit it. Jesus comes to those who admit their need, to those who admit they're outsiders. And so it begs the question, even today, are we willing, are you willing to admit your need? Or do you have it all figured out? Jesus is saying, I've come, I'm calling you, I'm for you. Come to me. All you who are weary, all you who acknowledge that life is not fully measuring up, you see, Jesus came to love the outsiders around us, and he came to love the outsiders in each one of us. And the beauty of this story is what we don't even see, what is yet to unfold. You see, this man, Levi, this despicable man, who Jesus calls to himself, 
Much like Saul becomes Paul, his name is changed later in the New Testament, Levi becomes known as Matthew, which means gift of God. In this despicable reject, this outsider becomes a gift of God in a building block for not only that church, but the church we have today. How? He becomes one of the original apostles or followers of Jesus. This guy. And he becomes one of the original authors of the New Testament. Matthew. This, this guy. And what about you? What can God do with you? No matter how much you think you're an outsider today. So in summary, if we're to understand the life of Jesus, we must understand the love of Jesus for the outsider, even in each one of us. I think our passage makes this clear. Jesus calls us, no matter who we are. He accepts us, no matter where we're at. And he promises to heal us if we'll admit, hey, we don't have it all figured out. I don't know where you are or what you're willing to admit today, but I know this. God loves you. He sent his son to live and die for you. And there is hope and promise being offered in this passage and to us, to every one of us, no matter what you're walking with, today. My only question is, will you say yes? I need that. I want that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would search the hearts in this room and search our lives, and I pray that we would be people of honesty and people of humility, admitting we don't have it all figured out, and maybe we don't even have this Christian thing figured out, this Jesus person figured out. But God, I pray right now through your divine intervention that you would reach into hearts, call people, accept people, and heal people. If this is what you're longing for, just silently say, yes, I long for this. And Jesus says, follow me. In his name we pray, amen.